Hi, this is Felix Chimeranyika, lead pastor of Kairos Christian Center in Lilonga, Malawi. I am happy that you have joined us for the Kairos Lilonga podcast, and I believe God is going to inspire you and break you through into your kingdom destiny as you hear the word unpacked. This is your Kairos moment, God's appointed season for your kingdom breakthrough. Amen. May I ask you to turn with me, please, to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, and if you're able to stand, let's stand up together so we can hear the word of God together. 1 John chapter 5. I feel the Lord is saying to us, He's saying to us as a church that does individuals, that I am rebuilding my house. I'm building my house. And just like on a construction site, things seem in disarray and disorganized. So it is. So it is in your life personally, and so it is even in the life of the church. So the disarray, the, the things that seem confused and seem out of work, are not in the right place and things like that, it's under construction. It's a house under construction. You're a house under construction. Amen? And I'd like to pray for the children. There any children for Sunday school? We'd like to pray for you if you're here. Sunday school children. Sunday school children. Okay. We don't have that many. Amen. Or anybody who wants to volunteer to be a Sunday school child, you can come. First John chapter 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those... To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. All men are like grass, their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass with 
The flowers fade, but the word of our God lives on forever. Holy Spirit, we invite you. May you speak to us. May you touch us today. May you move us forward. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. May be seated. Hallelujah. Imagine you're watching or your favorite soccer team has just gotten into the pitch, to the ground, to the field. And you start seeing them going to the other team and congratulating them. They haven't even played the game yet. Congratulate say, wow, you guys are really muscular. You guys are really big. And they're even taking autographs of the other team players. I mean, you'd be like, what? You're not going to win. You can't win losers. You cannot do that. Right? And yet, in as much as that is so funny, and like, it shouldn't be like that. That's the way Christians act. Christians act like losers. Christians act like they, they, they really isn't the, the spiritual heavenly reality. Christians act as if Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh, has not gone to the cross, and is seated on the right hand of the Father. Christians act like they have lost. That's the problem with the church today. Because most of us are operating from the standpoint that what we're doing here this morning is not really real. This is something that's just going to help us to get into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we come back again and so that, you know, we can go through Monday. No, it's not like that. We are winners. And this is the thing that John is writing to these churches in, in Turkey at that point in time. And telling them that, look, you are winners. Do not look down on yourself. Do not think of yourself less than what you really are. You are winners. So when we come to 1 John chapter 5, it's, a, it's the end of the first letter. And so he's kind of like saying his bye-byes, and at the very same time, reminding them of who they are. What are winners in Christ's luck? What is it about winners? Number one, John tells us, winners overcome the world. Winners overcome the world. Now, he doesn't say they are going to overcome. No, they already have overcome. Watch what he says, verse number one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father, who loves who loves the Father, loves whoever has been born of him. Remember again, John is really writing not so much as to give them doctrine, but to remind them of the things that they already believe. And he's writing to people that are believers, right? And who's a person that is a believer? Everyone that believes in Jesus Christ. And the person that is a believer in Jesus Christ has been born of God. In other words, you cannot be a believer in Jesus Christ unless you're born again. Amen. Now you hear some other people say, oh, you know, I'm a born again. And they act as if, you know, to be born again is a, is, a, is a different kind of Christian, like a denomination of Christianity. No, you cannot come to the Father except through the Son and not see unless you're born again. Hallelujah. Right? And so here, he's talking about Christians. And Christians are born again. Amen. If you're not born again, you're not a Christian. You're pretending. You think you are. You're not. To be a Christian is to be born again. That's what he's talking about. Whoever believes in the Father, or whoever believes in the Son, born. Right? He has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, loves whoever has been born of Him. And this is the logic of John, if you're in Christ, 
You are born of God. And if you are born of God, then you love God. And if you love God, you love other believers that are also born of God. And he's all just, show me your faith. Show me a real faith. Show me a faith that is really seen in your loving other people. Hallelujah. So he continues, verse number two, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So he says, how do you know that you love, uh, you love the children of God? You obey God and you do his commandments. Now it's almost like he's working backwards because usually he was saying, look, if you love you're going to obey his commandments and you're going to love the children of God. So he says, uh, very something. If you love the children of God, it's proof that you obey God and that you love God. Hallelujah. Now some other people think, oh, look, the New Testament, Christianity, is not really about the commandments. The commandments are something that are from the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, right? And we don't get saved by those. And so the Ten Commandments, they really don't have a place in the New Testament. Now that thinking is really betraying its basis in that it's thinking you kept the commandments in the Old Testament to be saved. No. Israel was never called to keep the commandments to be saved. No. In fact, Israel was chosen by God. God entered into covenant with them in Exodus chapter 19. Verse From there, that's when God says, okay, this is how I want you to live. You're already in covenant with me. You're already my people and I'm already your God. But now, this is how you ought to live with each other. The Ten Commandments. And even those Ten Commandments, they're summarized in two big commandments. Jesus talked about it too. He said, listen, somebody came to him and says, so which is the greatest of the commandments? He says, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. That's the first one. And say the second one is as equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, in these two commandments, the whole is fulfilled. Right? And so, to talk about the commandments of God, really in the New Testament sense, is to talk about these two great commandments that encapsulate all the other ten commandments. And it gets better. Because Jesus himself says, Listen, I did not come to take away the law and the law. I came to fulfill it. So Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the ten commandments. Hallelujah. That's why when you put your trust in Jesus, God looks at you and says you are a righteous person because Jesus Christ has fulfilled them. So put your trust in him. That's what he's talking about. Remember again, he's not breaking down every single little bit. He's talking to people that already know this thing, isn't it? I mean, he's like preaching to the choir here. That's what preaching to people that already know what he's talking about. So watch now, verse number three. He says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. He says the love of God is that we keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. Obedience and love go together. Adam and Eve were told, not eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. What was that all about? It was about obedience. It was about reminding Adam and Eve that God is still in charge and that you obey God not make sense to you or that you obey God to some way he has to abide by but because he is God. 
And you do it because you love him. And so if you love him, you're not going to question him because you know that what he does is really for your own good. So then, the believer comes at a point of seeing the Ten Commandments. They are, binding. they are still binding on us, by the way. Not binding as a means of us getting into heaven, but binding as a means of us to live in the earth and show forth the glory of God. What if Christians didn't lie? What if Christians didn't sleep around? What if Christians didn't murder? What if they live by that Ten Commandment code? Look, this world will be a different place. Amen. It will be a different place. Because even as we talk about the cash gates and whatever gates that can be talked about, listen, many of those people that are doing that, if you ask them, where were you on Sunday morning? They'll tell you I was in church. Many of them will actually tell you I'm an elder or a deacon. It's a call for us to live by these commandments. It's a call to us that we should have no other God but Jehovah God. It's a call to us any images that we worship. It's a call for us to ensure that we do not lie, we keep the Sabbath. It's a call to us to ensure that all the things that God demands of us as human beings living under His name, under His authority, we fulfill. So He says, when we love Him, we obey His commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Do you think if you walk to the top of this building, or maybe just even look outside the conde out there, the veranda, the little veranda out there, would you say that that ledge that has been put, that ledge of protection, is something that, would, that is taking away your freedom or will take away your freedom? The only freedom it's going to take away from you is the freedom for you to fall and die. Isn't it? And so you don't look at that and say, that, that is really an ugly structure. That, I, I just feel it robbing, it of, robbing me of my human rights. Somebody kick that thing off. Uh-uh. It's not burdensome. You know it's for you. The believer does not look at the commandments of God as something is burdensome. Oh, how can I do that? I mean, how can, how, how can I stay without drinking, without getting drunk? How, how can I stay without... You know, sleeping around. That's not the believer. The believer understands that those things are not burdensome. In fact, those things are for his or her own good. The non-believer has a problem with it. I know this Christianity thing. I don't think I can do this. This born-again thing. Many people settle for being Christian and not being born again. Because when I say I'm born again, there's a standard. Oh, they know there's a standard. And so you don't go around saying, oh, I'm born again. Ah, because once you start saying that, people will judge you by a higher standard. Amen. I don't know about you. That's what it was for me when I got born again. And I got born again and I was like one of those, you know, undercover James Bond Christians, you know. Nobody really knows. Now, you don't say I'm born again. You know, because I'm thinking if I say I'm born again, they'll keep me to a higher standard. I'm thinking if I say I'm born again, I should never sin again. Uh-uh. For the believer, the keeping of the commandments of God is something that is a pleasure. It's something that is a pleasure. Watch what he says next. Verse number four. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. 
Wow. Everybody that has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Wow. So everybody who's been born again, he overcome the sin. He defeated the devil. He defeated even sickness. So we're not trying to be something. We already are children of God. Remember what John says? Oh beloved, isn't it beautiful that we, that we are the children of God? God <laughs> means the power of God is in your life. Paul writes the Ephesians and he tells them, listen, the very same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that resurrection power is in you. My friend, again, this is a point the devil doesn't want us to know. The devil doesn't want us to know that when we are in Christ, we have overcome. He wants us to feel defeated. There's nothing that you can do but join them. If you can't beat him, join him. That's what he wants to make you feel like. And so even as on this Sunday morning, you really want to move moved by the Spirit to say, I want to be a child of God. I want to live by this. But then you walk out of here, the devil is going to you. You can't do it. You can I'm here to tell you, no matter what the accusation of the enemy, when you're in Jesus Christ, when you put your trust in Jesus to be your struggle and I, I just don't know if I can do this Christian thing. Listen, you can't do this Christian thing by yourself. You do it by the power of the Spirit. You do it by faith. You say Jesus right now, you know weakness I have. In fact, we call sin weakness, right? You know the kind of weakness I have, but, but oh, Jesus will help you. Jesus will help you. Jesus will why you have overcome. And notice, with John overcoming the world, is really overcoming the world. Chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse number 15, says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but who abides forever. So what is this that we have overcome? We have overcome the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We have overcome that because we are in Christ. In obedience. Please, don't let the enemy make you feel like you are a third grade Christian. Mm -mm. 
Don't let the enemy make you feel like you are a third grade Christian and that you are not really a child of God. But maybe you are a nephew or niece of God. Uh-uh. God doesn't have nieces and nephews. He has children. In fact, not just children, he has sons. Now understand this. Understand this. Because you see, in Jewish culture, the sons carried the name of the father. And the inheritance was given to the sons, not the daughters. Why? Because the daughters got married to some, somebody's son somewhere. Right? But in Christ we hear that all of us now, we are the sons of God. Hallelujah. So, God. Talk about gender equality. Right there. Right there. Right there. We are. And we have overcome. You have overcome the drunkenness in Jesus' name. You have overcome that lust in Jesus' name. You have overcome that greed in Jesus' name. You have overcome sexual addiction in Jesus' mighty name. You already have overcome because you are a child of God. Tell your neighbor, I have overcome. I have overcome. He, he asks a rhetorical question, a question where the answer is obvious. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Who is it except the one? Winners overcome the world, number two. Number one, I'm sorry, number two. Winners testify of Jesus. Winners testify of Jesus. There is a testimony that has come about Jesus, that Jesus is God, and winners embrace that testimony. Watch. Verse number 6, this is he by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Oh, John, what, what, what are you talking about? He says, listen, the t about Jesus Christ is not a testimony that we have ourselves. No, Jesus is a historical figure. Ask any historian worth his salt, he'll tell you there must have lived a man called Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Because the historian is just too much. In fact, there are about 6,000 manuscripts that speak of this. Historians, when they say that they say, oh yeah, it's true, there was a double Z. In first place, probably there was a double Z. Right? And so this he lived in the earth. And he says, here's his testimony. There are three things that testify the spirit. And the spirit, we're told in the previous chapter, that believed by the power of the spirit. Let's look at that verse together. Chapter 4, verse number 13. By this we know that we abide in him. He has given us his spirit. So, becomes an internal witness in the believer. Look again. Chapter 3 at the end. 
Verse number 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So he gives witness that Jesus has come in the flesh and that Jesus is Right? But he goes on to say that it's not just the spirit, but it is also the water. Probably king of the baptism. Remember Jesus before his ministry, he was John the baptizer. No, John was not a Baptist. I'm sorry. It sounds good, but he wasn't a Baptist. John was a baptizer. Amen. Hallelujah. All of us Baptists, we yeah, kind of like swallow our pride. We thought John was a Baptist. No. John the baptizer, when he baptized Jesus, there was a was the father speaking, saying, that is my son in, in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. That's what he's referring to. The baptism of, the Je of Jesus was a testimony that that is Jesus, the Son of God. And he said, even by the blood, what blood? On the cross. On the cross when he was crucified, when blood came out of him, or is it water that came out of him? When he died, he says that's testimony. Now here, John may be with those people that are refusing that Jesus came in the flesh. Remember, he calls them the that refuse that Jesus has come in the flesh. Amen. I should change mics. People. In fact, we are told in, in chapter 2 again that there were those that were with them but had left them. Right? Those that had been part of this church but left this church. And probably those people were teaching to say, one, Jesus has not come in the flesh. And in fact, there have been movements in the history of the church that have refused the fact that God came in the flesh in Jesus Christ. And many times, the heresies in Christianity, in fact, all the heresies in Christianity really have to do with the denial of Jesus Christ as God and as man. He was 100% God, 100% man. In fact, let me put it again. He is 100% God and 100% man. You get it? And so there will be those that will refuse that, no, 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 he has not come in the flesh. Right? So others would say, look, Jesus was a man, walked the earth for 30 years, but on the day that he was baptized by John the baptizer, the spirit, the, the Christ spirit came upon him, and so that now he started doing all these signs, wonders, and miracles. But before he died on the cross, the, that spirit Christ left him. And so Jesus was just another man, just endowed by the power of the Holy Spirit for that period of time. And John says, if you say that Jesus is not God, that God did not put on flesh, then you are not a believer. There are others that would say, look, it only seemed, right? It only seemed that Jesus Christ was a human being. It only seemed like that, but he was not really a human being. And again, another heresy in church history. No, he just, he just didn't seem. He walked the earth. 
Right? And so here he's testifying. He's saying, look, here's the testament about Jesus. The Spirit, internal witness, testifies. The Spirit also testified at his baptism. The Spirit is the one that assures us that Jesus is God. And also the water of baptism, the crucifixion, the blood, it shows us that Jesus is God, came in the flesh. And these three, they testify. Now some of you are using the King James Version or uh, the New King James Version, but usually the King James Version will say there are three that testify, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? Well, that's not really a good translation because that's the translation that comes kind of like later on in, in the history of the church. Right? And so that if you meet those uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and they tell you, look, there's a change here, it's not meant to be like that, they're usually right. Because in the original manuscripts, this is the reading that I read to you. Right? And so, uh, find yourself a nice Bible, Revised Standard Version, uh, English Standard Version, especially English Standard Version. I'm making an advert right now. But, yeah. Find yourself a good translation. Or something that, when, when there's something like that, it will show you a footnote that the other reading is like this one. But notice though, in verse number 9, it says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning the Son. Now what is, what, what is the testimony of men? It will be the testimony of those people that have left these believers and have gone off. And those people are probably saying again that, listen, Jesus did not come. God did not come in the flesh in Jesus Christ. That's a testimony of men. It says the testimony that we're going to believe is the testimony of God. Right? Verse number 10 again. It says, uh, whoever believes the Son, whoever believes the Son, whoever believes in the Son of God has, has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because God, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Right? So whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. How does he or she have the testimony in himself? The Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit is not just about speaking in tongues and being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do miracles. The Holy Spirit is the one who is the deposit of your salvation. Jesus Christ is seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. He's not in the earth. When you say Jesus has come into my life, what you mean is the Holy Spirit is the one who's resident in my life. Because Jesus is very much God, very much man, has a physical body, isn't it? I mean, which part did Jesus go in into your life? Your nose, your mouth, your ears were. You know, Jesus did not come into your life in that sense. When we say, Jesus has come into my life, or I have the Son, what we mean is the Holy Spirit is the one that gives me this assurance that Jesus is my God, Jesus is my Savior. You get it? So to have the Son, you have that internal witness of the Holy Spirit to say, you have the Son. Now, other people used to say, listen, if you, if you have the Holy Spirit, then you must speak in tongues. Watch it. Watch it. To be born again, you don't have to speak in tongues. To be born again, you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in your life. That's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 13. He writes to say that we have all been baptized by one spirit into one body. That's how we got saved. We were baptized into the body of Christ. We became members of the church. 
But yes, we can speak of a second experience of the Holy Spirit where we are filled by the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is different from salvation. But in both salvation and in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit who is at work. Amen? And so the Holy Spirit becomes the internal witness in our lives to say that we are the children of God. Verse number 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Right? So what is the testimony that God gave us eternal life? What's the testimony? The testimony is God has given us eternal life, and that this life is in his Son. Watch how he ends, verse number 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. In other words, no Jesus, no life. No, 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 no Jesus, no life. You get it? You have Jesus, you have eternal life. You don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. As simple as that. Or maybe as complicated as that. All you need is Jesus. When you have Jesus, eternal life. How do you know you have Jesus? The internal witness of the Holy Spirit. How do I have Jesus in my life? Well, if you confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, that he is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, if you believe that with your heart, you will be saved. That's how you become saved. What do I do to be saved? Should I start coming to church? I come to church for three months and then afterwards, then I can say, okay, I'm good enough, now I'm saved. No. What should I do to be saved? Should I stop smoking first and then I'm going to be saved? No. Should I stop slipping around and then I'm going to be saved? No. It's when Jesus comes into your life that he cleans you up. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, but you know, I thought I, thought I have to do something. Uh -uh. You can't do anything. You, you can't even do a single thing. Because you are so utterly depraved, so totally out of it, you can never connect to God. You need a connector to God called Jesus. By grace you are saved through faith. So today, here's a testimony. Eternal life is in Jesus Christ. This is a testimony that is given by the Spirit, given by the water, given by the blood. A testimony that is given by the internal witness of the Holy Spirit, by Jesus coming in the flesh, evidence in his baptism and his crucifixion. And this is a testimony of God. And he's saying, no Jesus, no life. Tell your neighbor, no Jesus, no life. Winners overcome the world, number one. Number two, winners testify of Jesus. Number three, winners pray effectively. Mm. They pray effectively. Hallelujah. Watch this, verse number 13. Now, please understand, John is wrapping up his letter. And when he was writing this, he wasn't thinking, oh, one of these days when foolish little pastor called Felix is going to be preaching, so let me make sure I put everything in order so he can preach nice sermons. Uh -huh. He was writing to these people, and so he jumps from one topic to another topic. Sometimes gets confused, like, okay, so what, what is going to be the theme for this sermon? It doesn't matter. He's saying what he's saying, right? So verse number 13 here is what he says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, he's writing to believers. Now, again, that is so powerful. I'm writing these things to you who believe in the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. 
Not that you're going to have eternal life if you continue with Jesus. No, you already have. And because you have this eternal life, that's why you're going to continue with Jesus. Amen. Powerful stuff. Very liberating stuff. I'm not trying to be saved. I already am saved. Amen. I'm already saved. If I die today, I'm going to go to heaven. Why? Because I have believed in the, sa- in the name of the Son of God. So he says, I'm writing to you that you may know that you already have eternal life. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. There comes that word again. Confidence. Powerful word for me. Confidence is a Greek word that was used of a citizen's right to speak to the city assembly. That you would sit in the assembly and you also had a right to stand up and give your thoughts. So in other words, the children of God, those that have believed in Jesus, have this right to come before God and say things. Hallelujah. Somebody can steal your vote. Uh, But with Jesus, nobody can steal your vote. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, nobody can steal my vote with Jesus. I'll still speak. Amen. Oh, pastor is political. True. (laughs) But nobody can steal your right to speak and to be heard by God. Right? And so he says, this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Wow. If we ask anything, whatever we ask, whatever, whatever means whatever. Oh God, I, I really need a husband. I really want to get married like in three years time. As soon as I, I graduate from college one more year and I want to get married. Yes. You can have the confidence you're a child of God. Amen, sisters. Amen. Rika <laughs> Shanda. Brothers too. Huh? You can say, oh, listen, Jesus, I've been taking this heavy load on me. No, no, no. Seven years is too long, Lord Jesus. No, 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 no. Before you come, let me enter into this blessed state of matrimony. Yeah, because some people are delaying the coming of Jesus. Ah, no, Jesus. Because you, you, you say that in heaven there is no marriages. Giving into marriages. And, uh, so I, I, I want to test something down here that I can never test up there. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Right? It says, this is the confidence that we have when we ask him anything, he gives to us. And he says this thing according to his will. Isn't it? That's what it says. Verse number 15. Or verse number 14. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Is it his will for you to get married? For most of us, yes. For some of us, he's given us the gift of celibacy of not getting married. Mm-hmm. There are some people like that. There are some Pauls, some Jesuses. Right? But for the rest of us, we know his will. Isn't it? So when we know his will, we pray according to his will. Is it his will that you should be kicked out of your house because you don't have rent money? No. No, 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 no. No, no, no. So we pray knowing that as we're praying, he's going to do it. Why? It's according to his will. Listen, this being in Jesus Christ gives you confidence. 
Here's what this means too. If you're not born again, if you're not a child of God, you have no confidence before God. I mean, it's like the neighbor's son coming to you and saying, I want school fees. No, you have your dad. Go ask your dad, your dad is going to give you school fees. Go ask your dad, your dad is going to provide for you the girlfriend. Because that's what you want, a girlfriend to sleep around with. I provide wives and husbands. Lifelong commitments. Ouch. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Watch it. We know that we have the requests that we ask of him. So it's still on the request level. But on the request level... Here's a problem with a lot of people. They're asking, not believing they have received it. Hallelujah. They're asking not with confidence. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And everybody who knocks, the door shall open. So for the believer, there is this confidence. I'm asking according to the will of God. And because it's according to the will of God, I know I'll get my answer. There's a confidence. Prayer becomes effective. Prayer is, becomes something that is confident. Expecting and knowing that God is going to do this thing. Why? Because I'm walking in His will. Amen. Hallelujah. So it's not like I'm asking in the air. It's not like I'm just praying and nothing is really going to happen. I know I'm praying and I know it's going to happen. So there is this praying effectively. Right? And that praying effectively extends even to interceding for others. Watch, in verse number 16 it says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give, him will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All one doing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Whoa, 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 whoa. John, what, what are you talking about? Sin leading to death, sin not leading to death. Remember again the context of John when he's writing. There are those people that have left the church. Right? They have left the church. One, they are saying, look, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. They have the Antichrist spirit upon them. Right? But also at the very same time, there are people that are not showing love. Right? Because by the very act of them leaving that church, they are showing that they are not part of this church and that they are not loving people. And that's why there's this you know, big issue in this letter on love. Because they are, the moment that they step away like that, they're operating out of love. Right? And so, John is probably speaking to this situation, that these people that deny that Jesus is God, or deny the divinity of Jesus, or also, on the other hand, that deny the humanity of Jesus, that those people are really not Christians. Those people don't believe in other words. If you don't believe, you are headed for death. If you believe, you have life, isn't it? No Jesus, no life. So you have Jesus, you have life. So a sin that leads you to death is a sin where you disbelieve the testimony of Jesus. And you so disbelieve, you walk not in love, not in obedience to God's commandments. And John is saying, 
If anybody is doing that, a sin leading unto death, uh, uh, there's nothing much that you can pray that they can be forgiven. Because what they really need to do is to believe Jesus in the first place. But on the other hand, if you see somebody sinning a sin not leading to death, in other words, another Christian brother, Christian sister, that is walking in sin, you should pray for God's forgiveness for them. In other words, you should pray for a repentance to come upon them so that they get back into the way. Listen, this is not a Christianity of me, myself, and I. This is a Christianity of also checking into other people's lives and how they're doing and wanting them to get to where we are going. Right? And so you don't come here with, in this kind of uh, scheme of things. You don't come to church. You don't come here with just the idea of, I just want to go and enjoy worship. There ought to be something inside you that says, how's brother so-and-so doing? I didn't see him. How's sister so-and-so doing? I have not seen her. Or so-and-so, I heard he's sick. I want to go and visit that person. That's the kind of Christianity that is talked about here. It's a Christianity of a community of people that believe in Christ and people that understand we are called to the very same thing and to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Here's a question for you. You know people this morning that are not here. Please may I ask you, may you call somebody today or even text somebody today and tell them I missed you in church. You know people that their lives are not right before God and that they need to get together with God, isn't it? You know. Today, maybe another day, that you say, look, I'd like to talk to you about your life, what's going on. Where can I help you pray? What can I do to help you move forward in your faith? Now, of course, maybe there may be a situation where you know that person won't hear you. Pray for them and find somebody that they will hear so that they can get back into the fold. Winners, overcome the world, number one. Number two, winners, testify of Jesus. Number three, uh, winners, pray confidently. And finally, number four, winners, cling to God. Winners, cling to God. God becomes a priority. God is a priority. God is the one they are seeking for, they want, and God becomes their fullness. What is it that they're pursuing in this life? They're pursuing God. Watch verse number 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Look at what has happened to the believer. The believer is protected by Jesus. He who was born of God, that's Jesus, protects him. Right? He who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. So those that are in Jesus Christ, there is protection that comes from Jesus against the enemy. You do realize you have the enemy of your soul, isn't it? You do realize your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against demonic things and demonic beings that want to stop you, that whisper in your ear to tell you you'll never amount to anything, that stop you, put obstacles in your path so that you can never be the person God called you to become. That want to harm you. Jesus says, I protect you. Watch again. It's not just a protection that is a passive protection. It's also an active protection. 
Because this Jesus said to his disciples, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and nothing shall harm you. He said that. Paul writes, he says, you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above every principality, every name that can be named in this age and in the one to come. In other words, you are seated above, far above every satanic stronghold, every curse, every form of witchcraft, you are being protected. Those that are in Christ are protected from the evil one. And what does that Lord's Prayer say at the end? But deliver us from the evil one. Isn't it? Deliver us from the evil one. Look, if you go through your day and you're not thinking that, oh, look, there is no such thing as the evil one, you, you are in very, very deep bondage. Because the evil one does his best work in the background. The evil one does his best work when you don't see him. In fact, he wants it to remain like that. That you don't really think that it's him. You think it's somebody. Or you think it's just your thoughts. When it's really behind all that, it's really him. Believers are protected from that. Notice it says in verse number 19, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Right? So here's another thing. Believers are in enemy territory. Amen. Amen. Believers are in enemy territory. So you may think things are okay. Things are supposed to work out. Uh, 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 things are not okay. We are in enemy territory. The whole world is under the system of the evil one. Everything. Have you seen how everything is about greed? Have you seen how this world is just about getting, getting, getting and fulfilling the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life? That's what this world is about. That's what this world is about. This world, the sum total of this world is the fact that it really is about people's physical lusts. That's what it is about. About people's mental lusts. And the pride of life so that they are seen to be somebody. You know, so the car I drive makes me to feel like somebody. So if I have an, a smartphone, you know, I'm a smart person. And if I have a stupid phone, I'm a stupid person. You get it? So we, we, we kind of like put our values according to the things that we have. That is the world system. That is the world system. Friend, you and I are important, are valuable, just the way that we are. Why? Because we're bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. So he's asking them, don't kowtow, don't end up bowing down to this worldly system. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we're in him who is true, in his Son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. He says, here's what the Son of God has done for those that are born again. They have an understanding of him. In fact, that word is actually a word that speaks of an intellectual understanding. Meaning to say, Christianity is not for dumb-dumbs that don't think. Right? Even though it's being made to be that, to, to be like a dumb, dumb thing for people that don't think. No, it's for people that think. And he's saying, you people have been given this understanding and so that you can cling to him because he is the eternal life. And finally he says, little children, 
Keep yourselves from all idols. Keep yourselves from all idols. God against idols. What idols? Something I'm going to buy by the curious market and start bowing down to it and putting food in front of it? No, no. It's anything that you make number one in your life. That you make a priority in your life. It can be a job. It can be so number one that you, you don't even have time for the things of God. It can be your business, that you are so caught up in your business, so caught up in making money, that you don't even have time to exercise the gifts that God has given you to enrich his people or to bring people into the kingdom of God. I don't. Oh, it can be, for some foolish people, that boyfriend. That everything revolves around that boyfriend. That boyfriend has become an idol. Or that promotion, it has become an idol. And he says... Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Christians are winners. We are winners. But we need to wake up to the fact that we are winners. We cannot be a people that love the world. This world is passing away. We cannot be a people that are so engrossed by the things happening around us that we don't even have time for church. Do you know church is not just Sunday? Church is not just Sunday. Church is our call to do the things of God wherever he has sent us. And if we, all we're relying on is to come to church on Sunday and pray and we go back into the world and we expect that we're going to be effective in reaching people, in touching people's lives, in being the salt and light of the earth, it's not going to happen. For us to really be a people that are winning this we need to be a people that are making the message of Christianity the central purpose of our lives. And not just that, even what it calls us to do in terms of loving our brothers and our sisters to be central or the characteristic things about our lives. Friend, if we don't do that, then we have no security on which to stand and say, I truly am born again. That is the whole of John's message. If you love God, you're going to love people. Because you love God, love the people that God loves. I want to leave you with this challenge. Listen. The enemy, for most of our lives, right, represented here, the enemy has come in and has, bring, has brought on a confusion and destruction. A confusion and destruction that is saying, look, serving God or making a commitment to the things of God won't pay you, won't give you the satisfaction. So what you need to be doing is work hard on this and work hard on that and work hard on that. That's a lie. That is a lie. God has called us to be the salt and light of the earth. And it can only happen if us as a congregation or as Christians, we come at a point of being fully convinced that's what we've been called to do. And to the extent that we do that, to the extent that that river of life flowing out of our bellies, flowing out of our lives, is it going to be a reality? Because watch it, you've chased after all those things, but where is the true satisfaction and, and, and sense of the presence of God in your life? And so God is calling us to say, please come back. Please come back. Let me rebuild your life.
Thank you for listening to the Kairos Lolongwe podcast. I trust you've been blessed. Please do us a favor and share this podcast with friends on Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, and whatever social media you're on. May the Lord break you through into your kingdom destiny. Blessings.